Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Oh man, isn't it, isn't it just look Christmassy in here? Don't you just love how it just looks? And, and they've done a beautiful job. If you see Megan and Rebecca, let them know how great it is. And then Mona and her team set out the foyer. It just looks so good. So you get to take pictures with your family in front of all that thing for nothing. Isn't that awesome? Like you do it for free. So make sure you thank one of them because that's what your family gets to do. I am very scared. I said this in the last service. I'm very scared about tripping and falling off the stage on one of these things. So I'm going to be a little farther back than, than maybe usual. And so, but how many are you ready for Christmas? And how many of you still need a shot? Oh, all the men. That's good. Um, all right. Well, hey, I want to share with you right now. You're probably shopping for presents, going on Amazon. I'm going to share with you the greatest present I ever received. All right. Now, listen, we're not going to go, at, obviously, my children. So don't think bad about me. I'm not going to say them. I, I love all of them. I'm going to go with the greatest physical present that was ever given to me as a child. It was for my birthday. And it was a baby goat. A baby goat. I know. Somebody over here just went, oh my gosh. I know, that's a, it did happen though, it did. This is what happened. I was eight years old, I wanted a dog. My mom said I couldn't get a dog. But my mom's a little president of the FFA. And so she said, I could get a goat. I don't know why that was different, but it was. And so we went to the farm and I was thinking, man, this is gonna be so cool. I'll be the coolest kid in school. I'll have a baby goat, like as my pet. Um, that wasn't true, but... It, Story happened anyway. So I went to the, uh, to the farm. I picked out this little baby goat. She was black with like some gray and white in her fur. And she was just in, I picked her up and she was so cute. I was eight years old with a little baby goat. I, you know, put me on a, on a Hallmark card. It was so, it was so adorable. Um, and uh, uh, we get there, we get home. I take it to show and tell, show everybody my baby goat. I think everybody wants to be my friend. After that, I have a friend, so it's all good. I, I, blame, I blame my little baby Ruth, but, but I loved her, right? She was so cute. She would sleep in the same room with me in, in a pack and play. And she was there for months until um, my mom, we had family coming to stay with us. And my mom told me, she'd go, we ain't that redneck. So it's gotta go outside now. So the goat went outside um, and she, and I had that goat from the time I was eight to when I was about 12 or 13. I had to give her, I had to give her away. I, you would think I'd be heartbroken at like the age of 12 or 13. I had figured out that having a goat wasn't good for my reputation. And so I was glad to give, give her away. And that, but I was probably looking back, that was probably one of my most, like one of the biggest excitements I ever had was going to the farm and picking the goat and having that goat. It was a lot of fun. It's a great story for me to tell from now on. So it works out with me, but, but it was a lot of fun, right? To go and to receive something that I was excited for, that kind of present. And we're gonna talk about presents today. And we're gonna talk about the gifts that were given to Jesus um, when, he was, when he was a boy. And we're gonna talk about those people that brought those gifts, why they're in scripture, all that kind of stuff. So it's gonna be a ton of fun. Pastor Jim stole my joke last week. He wasn't supposed to, but he did it about your nativity sets. How many of you have a nativity set up right now? My mom has a nativity set um, uh, that she still has, I believe to this day, it's white with like the gold trim and we weren't allowed to touch it. You ever have that nativity set? Don't touch this nativity set. We couldn't touch it, but all of your, probably 99% of all of your nativity sets, like Pastor Jim said last week, they're wrong. They're blasphemous. You need to throw them away. No, I'm kidding. You don't. They're, they're, they're still good. They're still fine. But it'll have like the shepherd and everything like that and the baby and Mary and Joseph. But it has three people there that shouldn't be there. 
We call them the three kings or the three wise men. Do you guys know this, these guys, right? We're going to talk about these three guys, the gifts they brought, why Matthew puts them in the story, and some of the notions and some of the things that we have and those, the legends that have been brought up around these three guys and the assumptions we have about them that are false. So we're going to do that today. So are you okay with that? So go ahead, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to insert a special prayer request uh, right now because I see uh, our very own Pastor Eric Disney sitting right over here. Pastor Eric tomorrow um, is going into surgery. Um, if you haven't noticed, um, Pastor Eric has been in a lot of pain these last couple months, more like a year and a half. And we want to pray over him, pray over his family because this is a major surgery and this could fix everything. And we're going to pray God's healing through the surgery or before the surgery, we're okay. He's probably going to be really, really, really mad at me at this, but I'm going to be able to stay away from him and he'll be in surgery tomorrow so I'll be okay he'll forget um but we're going to pray for him right now and so can you guys bow your heads close your eyes with me uh, he's he's over here so if you'd like to extend your hand we're going to pray for him and pray for the service father first God we want to bring forth to you God a mentor to me personally and probably to so many in this room God our pastor Eric Disney God we pray for the surgery to go well God we pray for the surgeon's hands God, we pray for the Christians in that room. God, we pray prayer over tomorrow at 1215 that everything would run smoothly, that God, that, that Pastor Eric would, would awaken with no pain. God, because of the miracle you're gonna do through the surgery, we pray for his family. God, we pray for his boys and his wife. God, that they would have peace. God, we pray for him. And God, we know, we feel that you have a lot you wanna do still through Pastor Eric. So we pray this would help with that, that God, you would, you would be with him as a calming presence. God, we pray for the service. God, we pray that you would speak through your word, which is living in us today. That God, as we talk about these three guys and the gifts they brought, that God, we would begin to really unravel why the author put this in the story, what it was speaking to the people then, and what it can still speak to us today. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we got Matthew chapter 2. I mean, verse 1, 1 through 12. But let me just... Let me tear down some of the stigma that we have, some of the assumptions we have about these three guys. Number one, there was not three of them, okay? So you've heard the song, the three, we three kings, there was not three of them. Um, there was probably between, scholars think between 50 and 100. It never says the, the amount, so it could, be, it could have been three, I guess, but it never says the amount. We just know there's multiple. We know they brought gifts. There's three gifts still. But we don't know how many wise men they are. They're, they're, they say between 50 and 100 because if you, when you look in the story, you're going to see that the wise men have to take, or these three guys, have to take a different route. So they can't go through the same route they went through. They have to go around. So it had to be somewhat of a bigger party. It had to be a noticeable caravan that was going through the streets that people would notice. And so they had to not be noticed through those same streets. So they had to go around. So that's why people think it was probably way more than three. Um, so that's, that's the first thing we got to know. So there's three there. We, we get three, just so you guys know, the first depiction, the first uh, like artist depiction was in the Byzantine, uh, like the Byzantine era. And they had somebody, an artist drew three kings to, to kind of establish this. And we'll talk about maybe why in a second, but that's kind of where we got the three kings and that kind of stuff. Number two, they are not kings, okay? They're not kings. They're not even technically called wise men. They're called magi. In your Bible, it would probably say magi, right? Maybe some versions would say uh, wise men, but more than likely it says magi. And magi is derived from the Hebrew word magos. 
And Magos, when it is defined, is defined as someone who was, uh, who was educated in astrology, educated in science, and educated in like just reading prophecies and different kinds of stuff like that. So that is who these Magi were, again, derived from the word Magos. And so that's who they are. They're not kings. They're, they're not even technically wise men. We would call them the, the, the Magi, all right? And then the last thing you need to know is um, that they were not at the stable that as we read the scripture, and you're gonna see this as we read, that it never says that they went to the stable. In fact, it's, and they never says that they saw a baby. It says that they saw a child and that they went into Mary and Joseph's house. So more than likely, whatever happened in the stable where the Magi enter into the story is probably about one to two years later. So they probably see Jesus as a toddler. They go into Mary and Joseph's house. We think between one and two years, because if you remember in the story, Herod has all the babies killed that are two and under. So he doesn't go past two, so two and under. So we kind of think, okay, that, that might be the reason that he's around that age. And so those are kind of the misconceptions we have. We kind of have where they walk in, you know, they kneel down, they're three kings, all that kind of stuff. I just need you to move that out of your mind, again, you don't have to throw away your nativity sets. No one has to like, you don't have to throw the wise men against the wall and yell blaspheme or anything like that. I just, but we want to, as readers of the scripture, we want to know and set up the right arc in our head and the right, and the right model in our head of what is actually happening in the story because Matthew puts them in the story for a very specific reason, okay? So we're gonna read the story. I'm gonna stop every once in a while and make a comment or two, uh, but let's just read the story. So Matthew chapter two, we're gonna start in verse one, okay? If you don't have your Bible, you can read it on the screen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi, see the word Magi, at least in my Bible, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired to them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will, stab, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from the exact time the star appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me for I have come to worship him. I just want to pause right there. Herod, if you, if you were here last week, you would, you would maybe remember this. Herod is called Herod the Great and he is part Jewish, okay? So he has Jewish heritage. That means that in his belief system, one of the reasons that he's even part uh, uh, the king of the Jews at this point, one of the reasons that he's there is he's the puppet king for the Roman Empire. They've placed Herod there because he has Jewish heritage. So they thought, well, maybe he'll have a little more buy-in with these people. He doesn't because he's a horrible king, but maybe they thought that, all right, he has some buy-in. So that means Herod should have known about a coming Messiah, all that kind of stuff. He should have been excited. It should have been something he was, he was looking forward to. But do you see Herod excited in those verses we just read? No. In fact, it says that he is troubled. He's troubled. Why? Why would Herod, who has Jewish heritage, at least in half of his family, why would he be troubled with the coming Messiah? Well, did you see what the, what the Magi said? They said, where is the king of the Jews? The new king of the Jews. Who is Herod right now? The king of the Jews. So they're coming to Herod and saying, hey, 
Where's the new king of the Jews, the real king of the Jews? And Herod is troubled because now there's someone possibly that is going to come and overthrow him for his power. There is someone who might come and supersede him and be now in charge. It will disrupt his power structure. And so instead of Herod being excited for the coming Messiah, he's troubled by the coming Messiah because it's someone that might impede on his personal power and in his personal life. So he sets it up to where they'll come and tell him so that he can go and kill that king of the Jews, which if you know the history of Herod the Great, that's kind of what he's known for. Herod has had his own family members killed because of his paranoia that someone would try and take over his kingdom. You can see that in history books. And so he hears about a new king of the Jews. And instead of being excited about a prophecy coming forth, he is troubled. Why? Because this king could impede on his power. I wanted to stop here because you need to know this. This is one of the biggest problems in the church, especially the church in America today. Because we like Jesus on paper, but Jesus in person creates a problem for some of us. Because all of a sudden, we're not in charge of our life. All of a sudden, we like the idea, right? We like the idea, especially we like the idea of like, I can be anything I want to be. I can do anything I want to do. I can make my own decisions. I'm the kingdom of my own domain. I'm the kingdom of my life. I can decide what we're going to do. We like that power. And then all of a sudden, we, we hear about Jesus and we like Jesus on paper. He's a cool guy on paper. He says really nice things. We agree with a lot of what he says. But then all of a sudden, Jesus stops being on paper and in person and he begins to impede on our power. And instead of me making my own decisions, I am now submitting to him. And that's difficult. That's difficult, right? In fact, that goes against a lot of what all of us would believe in our own politics. And I'm telling you as a Christian, as a Christian, that part of being a servant of Christ is to allow him to be the king of your life, which means that you have to yield to him. And that doesn't feel great all the time. It, in fact, it kind of doesn't make sense to us. A lot of us would like this, God be the king of my life and bless my decisions. Isn't that what we kind of want? We want someone to just bless my kingly decisions. We don't want a new king. We just want a new blesser, right? We want you, God, to bless anything I do. I'll make the decision. You just make sure it goes well. That's how we pray. We don't pray and ask God what he wants from us. We pray and ask God to bless us in the decision I already made. We have fallen in the same trap that Herod has. We like Jesus on paper. Herod, I would probably agree that Herod probably agreed with all the prophecies. He goes, man, I cannot wait for the Messiah to come. I cannot wait for the Messiah to come. Then all of a sudden the Messiah is here and he's created a problem because now he's not in charge. And that's difficult for some of you to do and to realize because you have a grasp on life and you feel, maybe it's from your own family experience, you feel like you're the only one that can really take care of you. And I'm asking you to make this crazy decision to give that power up and allow Jesus to be the king of your life. But I'm gonna tell you this, it's the greatest decision you could ever make. I can tell you that every single time as a personal testimony that I've tried to hold on to my own decisions and do what I want to do, never works out. But the minute I release it to the true king, 
everything seems to go okay. I'm at peace because I know that he wants the best for me. But in order to get that, I must yield that power to him. I must let him create the structure for my decisions. That's a freebie, okay? You have to tie twice today because I just gave you a free one, all right? Okay, keep on going. Verse nine, after hearing the king, they went their way and the star which had uh, seen in the east went on before them until it came over and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child to marry his mother and they fell to open ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And after being warned by God in the dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. So the first question we have to ask when reading the story is why is it here, right? This is a gospel letter to a certain group of people and Matthew is the only gospel writer to write this story into the gospel. So this story doesn't appear in Mark or Luke or John. It only appears in Matthew. So why would that be? So let me just help you a little bit with that. Well, we know that probably more than likely the author of Matthew is the disciple Matthew the tax collector. So we know that, G that this author would have known Jesus, would have heard stories. And he's writing in a time that's very controversial for the church, Okay. I don't know if you remember the last time I spoke, I had like some uh, dollhouses up here, but, but there was, I spoke about a guy named Cornelius, okay? I won't tell you what the dollhouses are about. You have to go back and watch. So there was a man named Cornelius and Cornelius was the first Gentile, the first Gentile to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The first person who was not a Jew to have that, to have that happen. And so then Peter made this decree. It says, hey, I'm looking at this, this guy and his family and his friends and they've accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. This, this gospel must not just be for the Jewish people. It must be for everyone. It's gotta be for everyone. And so he sets it up in the story because at this time, uh, Matthew sets it up in the story because at this time, Jewish people thought this was a big controversy. Well, they can't come in to be Christians. They, this isn't their prophecies. They weren't the chosen people of God. Jesus came for us, not for everyone else. And so there's this controversy that's happening in the church. And so what Matthew does is he writes a story. Or he pulls out a story and he places it into the gospel because he's writing this letter to the Jewish people and he wants them to know that from the beginning of time, this truth occurred, that from the beginning of time, when Jesus was just a child, that God wanted to make sure that the Savior came for everyone. A Savior came, the Savior came for everyone. Not just for the Jewish people or the people you like or the people that look like you, that the Savior came for everyone. This is controversial that the story is in here. It's controversial. People are not happy with this, that this is in here because it shows Gentile people coming and worshiping the child when all the Jewish people aren't doing it. And Matthew places it in the story because he wants the reader to know, the reader being a Jewish person who's maybe struggling with this decision to allow Gentiles in their church. And he's saying, no, 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 you have to understand from the beginning of the story, this was always the plan that a savior was gonna come for everyone. It wasn't gonna be select for the select few or for the chosen or for the people that look like this or think like this. It was gonna be for, for everyone. And that truth still applies today, amen? That a savior comes for everyone. That means a savior is coming for the person who you're so worried about showing up at your Christmas uh, dinner, right? Amen? 
that family member that you and the other family members are having a text message group about without them in them? You know what I'm talking about. Don't play like you don't. You know it's there. And you're all texting like, don't bring up his ex. Like you're, you're having that text message conversation right now. They just broke up, right? Don't bring up politics. You know how Rudy gets, right? You get like that? If you're not getting that text message, guess who they're texting about? Just so you know. You know? <laughs> so you know. Everybody worried about you. Jesus came for them. Jesus came for, for your boss. And every single employee that works at your job, he came for them. Jesus came for the person who's sitting in here today who is still a little tipsy from last night. You're not quite all the way there yet. And you're worried that someone's gonna figure it out. Jesus came for you and the person who came to this church because it's Christmas season and your family just really wants to come. And even though you're really uncomfortable right now, I just wanna let you know that Jesus came for you too. And not the fixed up you, not the sober you, not the, hey, better make sure you have everything together. And then he wants you right now. He'll, he'll handle that stuff later, but he wants you right now. Jesus came for everyone. That's the first thing Matthew wants you to see in the gospel. He wants you to make sure you know. The next thing you got to know, look at Matthew. Uh, look at uh, verse two. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Now these guys are from a faraway nation. They're not of Jewish heritage, right? That's, that's controversy. These guys are not from there. Not of Jewish heritage. How do they know that a Messiah, the king of the Jews is being born? They're not Jewish. They wouldn't have heard any, like, what, how do they know? And everybody who is Jewish has absolutely no idea what's going on. They can't even find room in the inn. How? How is that possible? Okay. And I wanted, I want to look at that really quick. And I just want to, before I do that, I want to just share the point and just let you know this, that the Magi saw because they were watching. They saw him because they were watching for him. Now, what do you mean watching for him? How, how could they be watching? How could they see because they were watching? Well, let me, let's back this up. Let's talk about who the Magi are. You've probably, uh, if you've been in church or even if you haven't been in church, you probably know the story called Daniel in the lion's den, right? Okay, so Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel is a kid who was kidnapped in the Babylonian empire. And when he was kidnapped in the Babylonian empire, he was raised up in that empire, but he remembered everything he had learned in his Jewish heritage. So he knew all those stories. He remembered all those prophecies. Well, Daniel is just this baller, man. Everywhere he goes, he rises to power. So in the Babylonian empire, he interprets a, a, a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. Bam, he rises to power. When the Persians take over, he rises to power again under a new king and a new regime. And as he's risen to power, he is put over this group of people called the Magi. And so you could say that Daniel was probably the greatest Magi that ever lived. And it's a bunch of these foreign guys that come with all different kinds of backgrounds and, and all different kinds of religion. And he gives to them and he teaches them the prophecies of Israel. And I could go forever on all the prophecies that the birth in Jesus, that how he, how he fulfills all of them. We're just going to look at two because we just, you all want to go to lunch and you're good. You already look hungry. I'm already worried about this. So we're just going to go through two. All right. The first one we're going to go through is in number seven. Sorry. No, yeah. Numbers 24 verse 17. All right. Numbers 24 verse 17. It says this. I see him, but not now I behold him, but not near a star. You see that? 
A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down the sons of Sheth. So they would have seen this prophecy as Magi. This prophecy would have been handed down to them, right? So they're looking. Okay, there's a star. It's going to come from Jacob. A scepter, uh, the, the symbol of a ruler, is going to rise out of Israel. So they know, okay, something's happening. Now, what about the timeline? How do they know that it should be happening right now? Well, this is a really cool prophecy in the book of Daniel. Remember that Daniel I just talked about? Well, he had a prophecy and he wrote a prophecy and his prophecy is so cool. It gives a timeline of when the Messiah will arrive, okay? So if you go to Daniel chapter nine, we're gonna be in verse 24. If you can't get there in time, I'm just gonna start reading it. It's gonna be on the screen. This is a timeline from when the Messiah is gonna arrive. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So that's what this, this prophecy is like. Hey, 70 weeks, all this is gonna be wrapped up. So let me give you when it's gonna start. So he says, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Do you see that? From that issuing of a decree, that's when the timeline's gonna begin, okay? That is more than likely when Nehemiah is sent to go rebuild the walls. That's when the timeline would start. He goes from that issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, okay? Now you see weeks and you think, what, seven days, right? Seven days. Well, in Hebrew, that's not what it means. A week in Hebrew means a set of seven. So a set of seven. Here, we would mean a set of seven days. In Hebrew, that just means a set of seven. In this case, a set of seven years, okay? A set of seven years. So 62 sets of seven, 62 sets of seven and seven sets of seven. You see that? There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be guilt again with the plaza and moat, even in the times of distress. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. That means he's going to die, okay? And the people of the prince who is coming will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Now, we're just going to stop right there. We could go weeks just figuring this stuff out. I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version, okay? You have 62 weeks and seven weeks. Those are sets of seven years, right? So we know that there is a timeline that we can work backwards from about 483 years from the time where the, where the wall is going to start being rebuilt to when Jesus will, will come and begin his, his death on the cross. In fact, Sir Robert Anderson took this prophecy and he ended it um, and, he, and he worked it all out and he found out that from the time that Nehemiah started building the wall to the time where Jesus rides in on the donkey to begin his, his march toward the cross, that this works out to the day. Isn't that amazing? So they had a timeline. And you, might, and you might do this. You might, that guy is so dumb. 62 plus seven is 69. I don't know how many of you math wizards did that. Can I just tell you what that last seven, the missing seven in? Because there's a gap between the 62 and seven and then the final seven. That final seven is what we would call the seven years of tribulation, right? So it happens at the end. So right now we're in the gap. That's why they split it up. Um, so just so you know, I do know how to do math. I do know 62 plus seven is 69, okay? You don't have to like be worried about, you know, the church or anything like that. Um, so we know that there's a timeline set that everyone could have seen, but the Jewish people don't see it. And the Magi do, why? Because the Magi saw because they were watching. 
And what are the Jewish people doing? They're so consumed with their power structure. They're so consumed with being oppressed. They're so consumed with the things going on in their life. They miss the Messiah that's right in their midst. Can I tell you the next problem with the American church? We are so consumed with what's being done to us and around us, so consumed with making sure our lives are good, we're missing what God is doing right now. God is doing something in our country. God is doing something in our state. God is doing something in our city. God is doing something in your life and you're missing it because you're so worried about what's going on in the world. And God is sitting there like, I'm right here. I'm in your midst. I'm trying to work in your family member's life. I'm trying to work in your business. I'm trying to work in all these different places. And you're sitting there so worried that I'm working in your midst and you're missing everything. And I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, if I was God, that would be so frustrating to be doing work and doing work. It would be like the Jewish people back in the day. And he's like, I gave you prophecies. I gave you timelines. I gave you everything you needed. And when it was happening, you missed it. You didn't even have room in the inn. And Jesus, I believe, is looking at us and saying, you're missing it. I'm trying to do something in your life. I'm trying to give you everything you've ever wanted. I'm trying to show you that my power is real and that things can change, but you're so worried about what's going on that you're missing what I'm doing. You just keep complaining about what's happening. And church, we need to, to open our eyes and not miss what God is doing. We can't be so blinded by the things that happen to us. I get it, they're frustrating. I get it that, that I can do the same thing when I'm looking around and, and being like, man, I wish I could do this. And man, I wish I could do that. I start getting down myself. But I throw that to the side and say, God, what do you want from me? What are you doing here? What am I missing because I'm so consumed with me that I'm not looking to you? We need to wake up, y'all. We got people that need Jesus. We got people that are hurting and are suffering and we're too consumed with our, with our physical needs and, and the things that are happening around us that we're not seeing that we could give people eternal life. We can at least present them with the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. God is doing something. Are we gonna start watching? Magi saw because they were watching. If you look, the most, probably the most famous part of this whole story, right? These three magi are the three gifts that are brought to him. So let's just look at that really quick. Verse 11. After coming into the house, they saw the child of Mary's mother and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now gold, they gave him gold because that establishes his kingship, right? Any king is going to have gold. He's going to be decked out in gold. Frankincense, because frankincense was something offered in, in worship. And so it would, have, it would have marked Jesus as a prophet or, or as a priest. He would have been, that frankincense would have meant something to the people. Myrrh, because it, it had a foretelling of his death. Myrrh was used in the embalming of the dead. Myrrh is also used as a pain relief. In fact, you would see in, in Mark when, when Jesus is on the cross, they offer Jesus on the cross a mixture of vinegar and myrrh. It's funny that that would come back around at the very end of the gospel as it came in the beginning. These gifts mean something. They bring the presence to them. And we talk about these presents and they, and they have meaning, but we miss the greatest gift they brought. Did you catch it? Did you catch the greatest gift they brought to him? Go ahead, look at verse 11 again. I'll just, I'll just read it off here. The greatest gift. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down to the ground and worshiped him. The greatest gift you can give to the Messiah is your worship. The greatest gift you can give is your worship.
Worship is such a, a, an interesting thing. In fact, it's the thing that like, if I was new to church, that would be the weirdest part of the service. Do you know what I mean? Like the part where they all sing at the same time, a song that they all seemingly know. And if you don't know, the words are on the screen. Like I get it. Like that would be, that would seem like a very strange part of the service, but can I tell you why it's not? I firmly believe this, that your physical body attached with your soul was created to worship. I don't, I, I don't know if you, you've ever seen me or someone else worship, but there, there's just something that happens. It, it overwhelms me to where I just, I just have to move. It might not be like that for you. Maybe you just raise your hands or maybe, maybe you just worship. You're, you're like an, an introverted person and, and you worship like that. That's fine. But there's something that happens in your body and your soul that happens when you worship, when you sing these praises and you have to ask yourself why. And I firmly believe this because that's what your body and your soul were created for. Like we try so hard to figure out what we're created for, right? We try so hard to make ourselves feel good with substances, with relationships, with all kinds of things. If I just, can I just give you the cheat code? Can I tell you what you're created for? You're created to worship the creator. It's what you're created for. Don't be sitting there struggling like, man, I don't know what I'm created for. I don't know what my purpose is on earth. I'm telling you right now, your purpose on earth is to worship the father. It will give you every single amount of joy, every single amount of peace, everything you've desired through every different kind of venue. It will fulfill all those things when you choose to worship the creator. It's amazing. And it doesn't make sense in our brain that giving up of ourselves and worshiping something else would give us purpose. That's why I'm telling you it has to be from the beginning of time something that God implemented into us, a reason why we exist to worship him. And let's be honest, you've tried everything else. If you've never worshiped God and you tried everything else, what's the harm in this? And I could give you 100% guarantee something's gonna happen. Something's gonna happen inside of your body, inside of your soul. But it's not just about worshiping and singing songs. Those are, that's great. And there's scripture to back that up. And there's something we come together as a community and do that and give ourselves and sing the truths and not just watch the words and, and be upset when I don't know the song, but to, but to look at the words and to not just read them, but sing them. There's something that, that's amazing that happens there. But do you know another way we worship? Do you know the, the, the way that Jesus tells us? John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, this right here, this is what you'll stand on. Some of you believe in God, but you don't obey him. You don't live for him. You like God on paper, but you don't let it invade your life. And you've been sitting there in this middle area and hasn't given you the satisfaction. So that's why you don't dive in. Can I tell you the reason you're not feeling that, that purpose, the reason you're not feeling that is because you're living with your life still as king and you haven't begun to obey his commandments. You haven't entered it into the ultimate worship, which is the obedience to the father's will. To allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, not your business degree. To allow the Holy Spirit to guide you not your, not your Instagram guy you follow. To allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. Not even yourself. The biggest lie we've ever told people is that what you think is truth. 
that what you think is true is okay, is true for you. Can I tell you, man, God is so like, listen, I'm giving, I'm the, I'm the creator of everything. I created your brain. I created your mind. I created how this world works. Trust me. Don't even trust you that much. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta let me be the king in your life. If you love me, obey my commandments. I tried to uh, put together everything that I felt Matthew was trying to convey to us in the story. I tried to put it into one word, one, one sentence, I should say. Try to put it together just so we could remember it. I feel Matthew put this in the gospel for this reason, that a savior who came for anyone deserves worship from everyone. A savior who came for anyone deserves the worship of everyone. That means you who've been in church for a long time and think that you've elevated your Christianity to where you can text and talk during the worship service. You've been in church a long time. You know how this thing works. You maybe work in the back or the, or the front or do ushering and, and you're like, hey, I know how the church works. Like, I, I'm good. I don't really need that worship. I'm gonna tell you, he deserves your worship. Sometimes you've been too busy to worship God. You've been too busy serving him to worship him. That's not gonna work. He deserves your worship. And to that person I talked to at the beginning of the message, are you so worried about worshiping because you don't feel worthy? And especially to the person, maybe you're in here today who grew up in church and you know the truths and you know how you're supposed to live your life, but it's been a struggle and you've walked away and you're trying to come back. But in your mind, you have to get back to the place you were before you can really get back into service. Stop believing that lie. Maybe you did go out last night and you're like, God doesn't want my worship. I'm telling you, yes, he does. He desires your worship. Do you know there's nothing that would make him happier than for you in whatever state you are in to worship him? That, there, that he won't be upset or he won't be derogatory. Or he won't be like, well, finally, he is gonna be so overjoyed that you are worshiping him that actually his joy is gonna pour over onto you. And all of a sudden you're gonna be joyous and it's gonna be this great dance between you and him of just being so happy that you decided to follow him and that, and that you are now receiving from the father that joy that only comes when you truly worship. There is nothing greater in life than that. And you're missing it. And I don't want you to miss it. I'm, I'm, this is one of the greatest things about being a pastor is you walk in here and I'm telling you, I love you. I might not even like you, but I love you. There's something that happens with, with, with a congregation and their pastor that, that once you walk in, there, there's no, it's, it's something that Jesus can only install in us that we love you and I want this for you. Not because it gets me anything and give me nothing but I want this for you because I know how fulfilling it is in my own life. And I want to give you that opportunity for that to happen to you today. So if I have you guys all stand up, we're going to end today in the practice of worship together. And we are blessed with a great worship team. We are blessed to live in America where we can worship freely. But more than anything else, we are blessed to have a God and a savior who would come for anyone and he deserves our worship today. Father, whatever state we're in, whatever area we're in in life, God, whatever you're doing in us, we pray that our hearts will be turned toward worshiping you. God, that just like those magi who came from another place 
who came from another area, that Father, we would recognize who you are, that you are our King, that you are our Savior, you are our Messiah, and that you desire a relationship with us. So Father, let us worship you as you are deserved to be worshiped. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes, and this is what I want to do. This is gonna take a little more courage for you, but I, I know you can do it. If you're in here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, just between you and Jesus. And you want to make him King, Messiah, Savior of your life, either for the first time or maybe you've walked away and you're coming back today. Can you do me this favor? Can you just raise your hand? No one looking around. It's just between you and him. I see you. I see you. Keep those hands raised. Do not put them down. Please do not put them down. I see hands. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to have everyone repeat it after me. But while we pray, you keep your hand up. So pray with me. Father, forgive me of my sin. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Convict me. Encourage me. Help me worship you by obeying you. Father, right now, I want to pray over those that have their hands up. Father, I pray right now you would bring forth the encouragement they need. Holy Spirit, you would be speaking into their, into their hearts, into their minds. It would maybe come in their own voice. But God, I pray they would know that it is not just from them, that it is the Holy Spirit working in them. Encourage them. Let them know that the lies they believed are untrue, that they can come back to you anytime, that you have a purpose for them. You have a mission for them. They are not here by accident. God, they were not in this room by accident but you ordained it. God, this is not, this is not anything that's just happening because this is what happens when humans get together like this. God, this is an amazing spiritual moment where you care for them personally. And that God, they would take that and they would run with that. Let them get excited. Let them feel your presence. Holy Spirit, pour over them all that they need. Give them the strength and the encouragement and the conviction to make the changes and to start the things they need to start. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now, I'm gonna have my prayer partners head over there. If you raise your hand, okay? I'm not gonna call you out, but if you raise your hand, I need you to do the next scariest thing, which is to take about 20 steps this way and to go tell one of these guys, all right? Just do it. And I know you're thinking, Charlie, I got lunch. I gotta, I gotta get somewhere. I'm telling you this, if you're late to wherever you're gonna go, just tell them, I'm so sorry. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. They're gonna do one of two things. They're gonna be so stoked for you. They're not gonna care you're late or they're gonna be so worried that they'll probably just blow it off. It'll be fine, all right? So either way, you're getting out scot-free, okay? But make sure you take those 20-something steps and get over here. If you have any prayer needs, please come over to this corner. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. Can you repeat after me? Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church and make me into a generous person like you. We love you. We'll see you guys on Saturday at 9 and 1030. God bless you guys. See you then. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.